0: turn back to Judges, now actually chapter 17, Judges 17. We'll pick up where we left off. We've finished The Life and Times of Samson, and now we're heading to conclude the book. A couple more stories, and then we'll be in 1 Samuel. All right, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, you've just been so faithful to even let us sense your presence with us here tonight. Thank you that your love is never failing and your mercy knows no bounds. And thank you for that great grace that touches our hearts and fills them with joy. Now, tonight we receive this rather intense word about a people who have turned to uh, false gods and reaping the consequences. Lord, help us learn vicariously through their mistakes how to avoid those kinds of sins and rather enjoy obedience and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Haide Yoshi is a Japanese or was a Japanese warlord who ruled over Japan, the history books tell us. In the late 1500s, he commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine in Kyoto. It took 50,000 men five years to build, but the work had scarcely been completed when the earthquake of 1596 brought the roof of the shrine crashing down and wrecked, the statue. History records that in a rage, Haideyoshi shot an arrow at the fallen colossus. He said, I put you here at great expense, he shouted, and you can't even look after your own temple. And, and so that is sort of the sad, empathetic uh, illustration of idolatry. It's just futility at its finest. Uh, you know when the captain of the plane comes on and says, buckle your seat belts, it's time to descend? Well, it's time to descend, uh, spiritually speaking, but to a destination no one would ever really wish to go into the darkness, spiritual darkness, groping around like animals and pagans, doing the unmentionable Vile and vulgar, morally corrupt and who? Not the Canaanites, but the people of God, the Israelites, because they have forsaken God and bowed down to statues and opened their hearts to false religions and false ways. And so here we are, just when you're thinking, I'm sure you have thought this through chapters 1 through 16, uh, can we get any lower than what we've already seen in the book of Judges? Uh, The answer is yes, (laughs) we can, and through chapter 17 through 21 we're done with judges so you will not hear of any more judges we have two stories that just kind of depict the life and times of a people who have uh neglected the word of god and and are doing their own thing as the uh, motto of judges is you recall that it was a time when in israel everybody did whatever was right in their own eyes Chapters 1 through 16, you ha- you at least had uh, judges being raised up. We had Barak and and Deborah even and, and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson. But there are no judges left. And that may be because God is knowing that it won't do any good. And so we're going to close uh, the book of Judges with chapter 17 through 21 with just saying, The Lord has tried through generation after generation, and nothing is working, and this is why. And this is where you go when you worship uh, gods that your hands have made instead of the living God whose hands made you. And so uh, now, just like Romans chapter 1 talks about exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator, And at the end of Romans 1, as a result of exchanging the truth of God for a lie, all of society comes unraveled. And you have at the end of Romans 1 a description of people of every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, gossip, slanderers, god-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, disobeying parents they are senseless faithless heartless ruthless although they know that god's righteous decrees uh, say that those who do such things deserve death not only do they do them but they approve of those who practice them the result is personal destruction and a societal unraveling and you're going to see that in these closing um, chapters now before we dive in to 17 and 18, which will set you up for 19, 20, and 21. 19, 20, and 21 are shameful to even speak about. The things that some of you know happen in there, it's just it's embarrassing as a pastor to have to actually read the text. It's that graphic and that bizarre and that dark. But without chapter 17 and 18, you, don't, you wouldn't have 19, 20, and 21 because 17 and 18 is about idolatry, forsaking God's way and doing our own thing and what's worse is putting a a spiritual spin on it and they're doing these things in Yahweh's name with a lot of God talk and Bible verses and worship and giving and all of this stuff but they have the wrong connection and as a result of that, Uh, It's it's a different kind of idolatry. Let me give you this quote, then we'll dive in about idolatry because modern Westerners as we are, uh, we don't resonate with the ancient style of idolatry. One writer put it this way. While bowing before ceramic statues of enlightened teachers and so-called gods or burning incense and prayerful worship to spirits is in our particular cup of tea, contemporary Westerners gladly bow before the goddess of sex and sensuality. We gladly worship the almighty dollar and sing praises to the lord of material possessions and luxury and prostrate ourselves before the high priestess of self-determination or the delight of doing as I please. So no, we're not into crass idol worship like the ancients. We've managed to do the same thing, only with a lot more subtlety. Now, I liken these chapters and this kind of talk to chemotherapy of the spiritual kind. Uh, It'll make you a little nauseous, but it'll kill the cancer. And so whenever we're in chapters like this and you get a hard, uh, convicting word, you see it as, wow, this is chemo for my soul. And uh, it may make me a little queasy. You know, I may leave here a little, (laughs) wow. But you know what? It's going in there and it's working. And so we're going to take a look at this now, chapter 17. And 18, Uh, let's walk through it a little bit at a time here. Verse 1, now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. (laughs) Then his mother said, the Lord, whenever you see all caps in the Old Testament, it means Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the Lord. The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mama, And she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol. And they were put in Micah's house. So, Roman numeral number one problems at home. All right. Now, Micah means who is like the Lord. And we're going to see not Micah (laughs) nor anyone else in the following five chapters. Uh, God has established three institutions, the home, human government, and the worshiping community. In the first covenant, it's Israel. The second covenant, through Jesus Christ. Of course, it's the church, capital C. Now, in these chapters 17 through 21, we'll see all three segments just sort of unravel and implode because of the abandonment of Israel. God. So the opening scene, let's talk about the problem at home. A crime was committed. Micah is a thief and not your ordinary kind. He lives at home with his mom and his mom is wealthy. That's a lot of money, 1,100 shekels of silver. Uh, 10 shekels a year is a salary. And so you can imagine how much money that is, 28 pounds of silver. Um, And so to let you know he's not uh, an ordinary thief, Um, number one, he doesn't steal coins from the bottom of her purse. And uh, he goes after the fortune, the nest egg, stealing not from a bank or his business partner or a merchant, but from his own mother. This is Micah. It's also an extraordinary crime because this is a religious family. Lord in all caps. Apparently they know him or say they know him, but we're going to see clearly that it's a religious family. They're spiritual, but they do not know Yahweh in the way they ought to in a living, practical, trusting, obedient way. Here's a quote um, about that. Nothing is more corrupting than an outward appearance of spirituality with the absence of life-changing truth in the heart. Jesus referred to religious people who were opposing him and the gospel as whitewashed sepulchers. Sepulchre is an old word for coffin, or tomb so he said oh you look good on the outside but inside you are filled with decay and rot and that's because the power of the gospel was not out there in there rather but on the outside they had all the right words and they had deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 right put on their forehead and on their hands and they had the prayers three times a day and they're in the temple and they're talking about god and they could quote you the bible but they were dead and so uh Mama notices that the money's gone, a curse is invoked, so Mama calls down a curse, uh, presumably in Yahweh's name, and Micah happens to overhear her. Maybe she's in her bedroom and he's in his, and he hears her saying, may the earth Open and swallow him up whole. Or maybe she says, may a viper, venomous viper, bite him in the night. Or maybe she says something like, may he get a flesh-eating bacteria that eats him alive slowly, inch by inch. In the name of Yahweh, I pray, and in his love. (laughs) Matthew Henry said this, that convicted me. Painful losses drive good people to their prayers and bad people to their curses. I've been praying nicer prayers for those who (laughs) persecute me and our problems. Uh, Matthew 5, 44, Jesus said, pray for them that use you and abuse you and persecute you. Do good to them. Pray for their blessing, that his kindness would be upon them and lead them to repentance. And so, yeah, she's... Apparently, it was a humdinger because uh, Micah comes in and says, Mom, about the curse, uh, here's the sack and the silver. It's all there. And Mama's so pleasedly proud. and, and, And she revokes the curse with a blessing. May Yahweh bless you. And he comes clean. She's all happy. But she's twisted as well, unfortunately. Sorry. No offense to any mama out there. But this mama is off. All right, so we're going to see that. In verse 3, a vow is made. She dedicates the entire sum to the Lord so that they can break the second commandment. Now, it's hallelujah. Let's get busy praising the Lord, son. You've come clean. Hallelujah. Let's break the second command and carve out an image and cast an idol. The word for carved image is wood that's carved that has been silver-plated. The second word, cast idol, is pure silver. Uh, even though Deuteronomy 27:15 says, "Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands." Then all the people he's reading this said, "Amen." And so Exodus 20, the ten. Commandments there, uh, uh, commandment number two, don't make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. But hallelujah, son, you've come clean. You're right before God. Now let's break some commandments. (laughs) That's what it says. I'm just telling you what it is. Notice, by the way, she pulls an Ananias and Sapphira. You did notice that. Oh, I give all of this silver unto the Lord, and then she gives 200 shekels, and she pockets the rest. It was all yours to begin with. You didn't have to just say to everybody, oh, I'm going to give this all to the Lord. Hallelujah, and then 200 of the shekels goes to making the little gods that they're going to bring home. And so the vow is made and a command is broken. And uh, verse 5 tells you they didn't stop with a little bit of trinkets. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. And in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did whatever they wanted. So... You know, um, instead of a granny unit in the back, they decided to go with a local shrine for their false worship. And so um, Micah and the town worshiped, even though they were not allowed as Israelites to have shrines, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. It was all supposed to be centralized in a place called Shiloh. There was a tabernacle. There are worship centers. Portable with the tent until the temple was uh, erected and then the tabernacle would go away. But God said, Worship me there only, nowhere else. You know, you'd have private worship. But you don't go to somebody's house and a shrine and bow down and do your thing there because he had a place to go. And so uh, verse five there tells you that he, he they make an ephod, which is a priestly robe that the pre- high priest only could determine God's will by reaching into the little pocket and answer yes and no questions with a urem and the thummim. Uh, you remember all of that. And so they make one of those because they're going to get busy in that backyard shrine. And uh, then he says, well, we're going to need a priest. So he grabs one of his teenagers and says, hey, you make a great priest. you got a heart for God. Looked at your gifting and your calling, man. You be the priest in this household. And so he prays the Lord. We're going to have little Johnny be the, the priest. And so we've got this all right. So uh, by the way, verse 6 is a quick explanation for what's going on. Everybody's doing their own thing. So they think, you know, why travel to Shiloh? when you could go right to this backyard place. Why go to the God-appointed place and God-instructed way to worship? we got it all here, and you better believe that shrine sparkled. It was beautiful. It was attractive. It was sincere. But the problem was it was all wrong. And so instead of handling his sin as a thief, in the God's prescription, uh, his way to, to get right in Leviticus 6, there was confession, There was to present a guilt offering where, not in your own homemade shrine, but at Shiloh, to go before the priest of God to say, I have sinned, and here is a guilt offering, a sacrifice that I bring. That day, according to Leviticus chapter 6, he would have to return all of the money and add one-fifth as a penalty to his mother, his mother doesn't suggest any of this. Oh, no, bless the Lord. It's okay, kid. Let's just break some more commandments. And, well, you don't have to do it God's way. And he lets all of this stuff happen. So Warren Wearsby says, uh, while they're worshiping the Lord, they've broken seven of God's commands in less than five verses, a new world record. <laughs> and with a praise of the Lord to boot. Look at my zeal. Look at the cost for Yahweh. Nothing's too uh, great. And so, what you need to see is that it's all gut Bible talk and all Yahweh and praise the Lord and Adonai and all of this. And they think, in their self deception and self deluded state, that God is pleased that they're walking with him. Problems at home, problems in the ministry, number two. Uh, Verses seven, and following a young Levite now from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. He said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest. And I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed (laughs) to live with him. And the young man was to him like one of his own kids. So then Micah installed the Levite, he consecrated him. And the young man became his priest and lived in his house and Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Look, I may have cut some corners with the boy, making my own boy my priest. But now look what God has sent. He sent me a real bona fide Levite. And now I'm going to pay him room and board and a little pocket money and you could be my personal priest. Now I know I'm doing things right. Folks, stay away from sin it'll make you crazy. I've met these people. I've been this person before. Haven't you ever got, you know, you kind of got off track and your eyes get crazy and suddenly you can't know if you're flying upside down or left or right? Because sin will is spiritual insanity because it's counter to the way God has created the world to flow. So you're, you're doing things that God says, that's uh, That's backwards. And when you're doing it backwards, you can't see where you're going. And so he thinks, oh, this is great. Now I'm blessed. (laughs) So wrong, wrong, wrong is my next uh, sub point. Number one, the Levites were assigned to assist the priests in the temple, in the tabernacle. and, And no Levites could be priests, only those who are descending from Aaron. The Levites were to be like the deacons. They helped in the temple, and they were supported that way. So only Aaron's descendants could be priests, and everybody knew that. You could see that in 1 Kings 8 or Ezra chapter 2, strike one. Number two, Levites had appointed towns to live. They couldn't just wander around. Hey, yeah, I'm. Lord knows I was born a rambling man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> trying to make a living and doing the best I can. (laughs) And when it comes to leaving, Judah and Bethlehem, I hope you understand. Lord knows I'm born a rambling man. Oh, get out of town. What are you talking about? You can't be a rambling man. You've got a God-called, God-assigned position. You can just pick your towns. My word. My word. And so, what, what's going on here? He roams into town. I guess everybody hangs out at Micah's shrine. And so he pulls up and gets a latte and hangs out there. <laughs> and, you know, uh, so everybody's doing what's right in everybody's eyes. Why has he got to look for a living? Well, let's see. Everybody's doing whatever they want. So we're not going to go to Shiloh because we're all going to have shrines. And they all had their portable shines, so they didn't need to go to the, the tabernacle, which means no people at the tabernacle, no worshiping, no worshiping at the tabernacle, no offerings, no offerings at the tabernacle, no support for the ministers who work in the tabernacle. And so the minister is out of a job because he can't feed his family. So he's looking for work. Why? Because everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's one of the reasons God says things like, don't give up meeting together in assembly. As some are in the habit of doing, well, why, I can get my church this way and I can do this and I've got this and that and that. How about what you bring to the health and vitality of God's people in the local church? Oh, yeah, the bigger picture, others, not just my own spiritual well-being. If you don't say amen there, I'm going home. All right, thank you. All right, and number three, strike three. Here's the, here's the paraphrase of the congregation, conversation. I knew I was going to try not to say that. All right, here's the conversation. Micah asks, where are you from, kid? comes into the shrine area. I'm a Levi from Bethlehem looking for work. Are you kidding me? Micah says, what a godsend. You come to the right place. I could use a guy like you. Be my personal spirit guide, the priest for my own family, the shrine. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you room and board and some pocket money. And if you agree, and the Levite said, awesome, and, and settles into the new position. And Micah says, now I'm sure to have the Lord's blessing because I've got the real deal here. Here, a bona fide Levite, as I've mentioned. So strike three, you're out. Uh, Damien Kyle, one of my favorite speakers, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Modesto, a large church. I always listen to him when I can. He said, every Christian who's busy doing their own thing who willingly chooses to disobey God's word and protocol shares responsibility for worsening of the culture and the weakening of the church. If Micah wouldn't have set up the shrine, there'd be more people at the tabernacle and so on. So it's a vicious domino thing, you know, and it all affects (laughs) nobody's an island. We're all connected. So sometimes we think, well, I'm just in a season I'm having a hard struggle. What about everybody in your family and the witness of God in your place of work? Not to mention the, the, the health of your church. Uh, chapter 18, 1 through 6. Now, in those days, Israel had no king. <laughs> Four times you're going to hear this. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites. Now, some new folks who are going to be doing their own thing. Uh, was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five warriors from Zorah and Eshtol to spy out the land and explore it. These men represent all of their clans. They told them, go explore the land. And the men entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they might spend the, where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice or in the Hebrew accent of the young Levites, so they turned in there and asked him, "Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here?" He told them what Micah had done for him and said, He has hired me, and I am his priest. And then they said, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. Verse 6, the priest answered them, go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. There was a small earthquake. It's all right. Uh, in those days, there was no king. We keep hearing this because there's no man of God. There's no appointed God, God's leader to lead them according to God's word. And and it, and and he talks four times about Bethlehem and no king. Bethlehem, no king. Bethlehem, no king. Bethlehem, no king. But we sure could use a king to break all of this darkness and not just outwardly but bring an end inwardly to change our hearts boy we could use a king like that that is what's happening here the Holy Spirit is setting you up for first the birth of David as God's king and through David's own body biological descendant Jesus Christ who through the flesh is related to king david but through the spirit he is conceived of the holy spirit he is the god man and so that's a little spin on that but now the danites let me show you where they the where they first lived (laughs) see them in the middle they're along the coast lower than they're next to ephraim to the left I don't know what color that is. That color. That's where God said, that's where you guys go. And this is what they said. We don't have an inheritance that we like. We want to find someplace else because after all, everybody's doing their own thing. And so that's the kind of, they lack the will and the faith to dispossess the Amorites in that place and then the uh, Philistines come ashore from Greece. That's where the Philistines come from. And they come ashore and they, they ashore, and they kind of combine with the Amorites. Now they really don't want to. Joshua 19 uh, tells you their actual cities there that they were given and then also says, look, they didn't want to do the hard work of dispossessing Dispossessing those enemies. For them, they conclude that the boundary lines have not fallen in pleasant places for them. So let's look for a new inheritance other than what God gave us. So they send out from Dan five scouts, just like we're going to, like the promised land never happened. So they're going to repeat the whole thing. Let's have scouts and spies go out to buy out the land that God is going to give us. They, they really believe that God is guiding them in this pursuit and exploration. And who do they run into? But they run into the Levite priest, and they recognize his accent. So maybe he said, shalom, y'all. You know, I don't know <laughs> what he said. But they said, well, hey, what's a nice boy from Texas doing in a place <laughs> like this? And so he says, Micah, hire me on to be the personal priest in the town and to him. And they say, what a godsend. Hallelujah. And and now get this. And this is why I had a little earthquake up here. So to an illegal, self-appointed priest who's misrepresenting God, as they must well know, they jingle a little sack of silver maybe and say, ask God for us. Will the Lord bless our efforts to abandon what he's given us and look for something of our own choosing a place we like better that's a lot easier and more attractive than what he gave us to begin with. Will he bless us? And the priest says, absolutely. He's so delighted with you guys. You're the apple of his eye. Let me quote a passage from Isaiah for you. Oh, though you walk through the valley of the shadow and though the fire and the flood, I will be with you, says the Lord. Fear not. You are his people. Well, I'm adding more, but, you know, they absolutely go in peace. And, and, and pssst, don't forget the tight boxes on the wall as you're going out. Because, you know, I did tell you what you wanted to hear. Right? <laughs> Cha-ching. So there's a little itching ear syndrome in its ancient form. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, in the last days... Oh, yeah, in the beginning of time as well. You know, itch and ear syndrome. I got an itch right here. Uh, we want to go. We're not happy what God gave us because it's so much work. The Philistines, they have iron. We don't. I've got this little itch here. Now, we want to find a place with no Philistines, a lot friendlier, a people group we could just wipe out. Oh, we want I hear that blessing. And he says, oh, let me itch right there for you. Oh, he loves you. He's going to give you peace. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That feels so good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, um, yeah, one of the hardest things about ministry, since you're wondering, I'm going to tell you, is not itching. Well, not scratching where people itch. And when they come to me, depending who they are, and they ask me, do I have grounds for divorce? And I have to say, no, you don't. Well, let me rephrase that. Can I leave with God's blessing? Uh, That's what you first asked me. uh, Let me answer it in the same way. No, you don't have it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm answering your question. I can tell you what grounds are. You don't have them. Give me your best shot. Just make it really brutal. Give me the worst thing. Give me the ugly truth. Go to the bottom. And the bottom comes out. It's not in the book. It's like, that's pretty normal stuff. That's not a deal breaker in the Bible. Oh, that's so hard to do, depending on who they are. What. Well, I- No, you can't live with your girlfriend. No, you, yes, you have to move out before you're married. So I told you the story of Barb and my kids at Costco, and they ran into somebody, this is like eight or nine years ago, that uh, the kids recognized as having once come to the church and no longer coming to the church. So after the small talk, Barb pushed them aside, and they were on their way. And Zach asked Barb, Mom, why doesn't he come to the church anymore? And Barb said, because Daddy said that it's not right to sleep with his girlfriend anymore until he's married. And of course, whenever you don't scratch with somebody itches and you have to say no homosexuality is a sin and those who live a lifestyle of it and embrace it will not find eternal life first corinthians chapter 6 9-11 through 11, i got the text you can struggle with anything you can limp in the right direction You can confess it as wrong and struggle all your life with something, but you can't call it right and embrace it and say God blesses it and embrace sin and claim to be walking in the light. That is so difficult because now you're the bad guy. You're the narrow-minded person. I'm off on a tangent, so let me continue on here. 7 through 21. So the five guys... They left and came to Laish, right? Because they've been blessed. God is with you. Go kill people. It's okay. Uh, came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, unsuspecting and secure, and since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anybody else. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> They have no help in time of need. When they return to Zorah, these five spies in Eshtol, their home, their brothers ask them, the Danites ask, how did you find things? They answer, come on, let's attack them. We have seen that the land is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Come on, don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you'll find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands a land that lacks nothing whatsoever, milk and honey flowing, kids. Verse 11, and 600 men from the clan of Dan, armed for battle, set out from their home. On their way, they set up camp near Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath-Jerim is named Dan to this day. From there they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men, the original spies, who had spied out the land of Laish, said to their brothers, do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, other household gods, a carved image, and a cast idol? Now you know what to do. (laughs) Yeah, just saying, we happen to know there's a house with a whole bunch of expensive stuff that we could use once we conquer these people. Just say, well, just just think about it, guys. All right, continuing on, verse 15. So they turned in there and went to the Danites Sorry. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites, armed for battle, stood at the entrance to the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the carved image, the ephod, and the other household gods, and the cast idol, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance of the gate. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and all their stuff, the priest said to them, what do you think you're doing? They answered him, be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us. Be our father and priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and a clan in Israel as priest rather than just one guy's house? Then the priest was happy. (laughs) He took the ephod. And the other household gods, let me give you a hand. (laughs) And the carved image and went along with the people putting their little children and their livestock and their possessions out in front of them. They turned away and left. So map number two. Coming. You see the tip, tip, top. That's, do you see? It says Dan there. There. They were down in the middle in the pink, but they went east and then they went north, all the way to the tip top, looking for a nice people group to swallow up and reclaim their land. And now to this day, that's Dan. That's the the tribe of Dan. It it stayed that way all the time. They they left their God-given land, and now they have this little tiny place in the middle of uh, the border of Lebanon and Syria, so that's just for your own. Though so number four, thou shalt not covet. Uh, this is a beautiful place, orchard, vineyard. It's the source for the Jordan River. Two sources there converge. It comes up out of the ground. It's well watered. It's beautiful, uh, and uh, and removed from people groups so that they're vulnerable. And so thou shalt not covet. I've come up with that because it's a good word for the Danites. And it's a good word for the priest. The Danites want a new place to live, out of bounds, and the and Jonathan, the priest, we find out his name is Jonathan, by the way. Later, wants a better-paid position in defiance of God's word to him. But who really cares what God wants? Uh, verses eight through ten, the five spies. Uh, love laish and they return home and now they got to sell the idea of going to the northern territory and wiping them out uh they say hey in verses 8 through 10 it's way better It's way nicer way easier flowing with milk and honey unsuspecting people we give this property five stars and it's ours for the taking let's get moving god has given it to us yippee praise the lord romans eight 28, let's go That's what they sing. Verse 11, 600 warriors set out, and they take a route that has to put them through Micah's place, again, the little shrine, And so the five guys put a bug in the 600 warriors' ears. We happen to know this guy is loaded with stuff that we could use. So let's go pay him a visit. So the 600 warriors park at the gate. They leave the motors running, okay, because they're armed for battle. And these five original spies go into the shrine and start taking things off the shelf and packing them up. And in verse 18... uh, the priest says, what are you guys doing? You're stealing the gods. And they say, yeah, be quiet, kid. We're going to offer you a job. Which is better, fool? You want to be a little pastor in a little hip town in Hayfork with with 100 people all your life? Or do you want to move up into the metropolis? You want to be a mega church pastor. Which do you want, fool? And he goes, you guys need a hand? <laughs> I'll help you carry the gods out. (laughs) So with shekel signs in his eyes, you know, never mind. This, verse 20, this made the priests happy. Happiness. Because what is it all about? It's what you can get in this life. This is a priest of God. Verse 21, they pack up. They put the wife and kids and livestock out front. Why? Because they're thinking, hey, Micah's going to find out that all of little God stuff has been swiped. And he and the town's probably going to be mad and they'll come up from behind. So let's put everybody in front and we'll deal with Micah and his little wannabe posse. Let's finish up. 22 to the end. So when they had gone, got some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? He replied, you took the gods I made. <laughs> it's really sad when someone can steal your god. That's, that's just really sad, I think. Personally, you took the gods I made and my priest and went away. Listen to this. What else do I have in life? I have nothing. How can you ask me what's the matter with me? I've got nothing left. Everything's wrapped up on my shelf with this guy who's telling me how to live. I've got nothing now, the Danites answered him. Don't argue with us or some hot-tempered men will attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home into his empty God's shelf. Verse 27, then they took what Micah had made and his priest and went on to Laish against A. And here's the word of God. Telling you about pagan people group against a peaceful and unsuspecting people, they attacked them with a sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else and the city was in, uh, in a valley there. Then the Danites rebuilt the city, praise the Lord. <laughs> And settled there, they named it Dan, after their forefather Dan, who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idols, and Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, who's their priest, and his sons were priests, so now we've got a lineage now of false priests and prophets. For the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land, which will be in the year 700 BC. So for hundreds of years, it's going to remain that way. They continued to use the idols Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. So the last point is the capture of Laish. They take what they want. They do as they wish. And they name it and claim it to the glory of God and say, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Romans 8.28. And quoting Bible verses about totally being out of God's will and, and murdering peaceful and unsuspecting people. Have you not met people who reject the gospel but quote scriptures? It's the same idea here. So, yeah, just as they thought, Micah assembles assembles rather a posse and they go after the god thieves. Now, why would you put your life at risk for gods that you made when you can make more when you get home? Just go home and make some more. But I guess that would cost money. So Micah's posse pulls up from behind And they're shouting, you stole the gods that I made. You've got my priest. It's my whole life. What do I have left? Now, same thing people are going to say at death. That was their whole life. I don't have anything left. Death separates you from all your idols. And then whatever you have left is either rich toward God or poor toward God. You see, Luke chapter 12 The Lord says, be on your guard against all forms of greed. And then he tells a story. He says, the ground of a rich man uh, produced a good crop. He thought to himself, oh, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll store all my stuff and my grain. And I'll say to myself, you got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all your stuff? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And this is exactly what's going on with this guy. How can you say, you've got everything, I don't have a life. You took my whole life with you. Your whole life consists of stuff stuff. In your house? And some guy, yeah, poor toward God. Verse 26, the warriors reply, they say in real New York accent, are you talking to me? Because they're shouting from behind, hey, you took our gods. And they turn around. And in Hebrew, it's really like, "Uh, we know you're not picking a fight with us. Because we got 600 warriors and you got a little posse and we'll wipe you out. You say the wrong word, you're going to lose your lives. Now go home, buy some new gods, get out of here. And so crime against crimes, the misguided Danites destroy the peaceful and unsuspecting people. In verse 27, they attack with the sword. They burn the city to the ground. They rebuild it and name it Dan to the glory of God. Hallelujah is ringing, praising the Lord and offering prayers and dedications. Verse 30 they establish their own temple with their own priestly line and idols, a beautiful place to live. It's all worked out for them in the Lord's will, according to them. Now, there's a key little sneaky verse there in verse 31. I hope you catch it. All the while, the true tabernacle, the worship center, was in Shiloh. So, in other words, what what the Holy Spirit is saying there is this isn't a sin of ignorance. God's people were still around. The truth was right there. They could go to Shiloh and take care of business the right way. But Dan stays as the center of idolatrous worship and causes the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 or so. Assyria, God's appointed wrath. Assyria comes in and takes ten tribes away. They don't come back. Takes them out of Israel, done. And who's to blame? Those guys, their descendants. They're the idol factory of Israel. And you'll read about that in the history in the First Kings, Second Kings, and Chronicles. They're the problem. And all the while, Shiloh's going on. Priest is there. God's people, God's word. It's just a choice that they make. Now, bringing my remarks to a close, the New Testament spiritual application for these kinds of people. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, the Lord says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, we drove out demons, remember? And we performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, every Christian is, has a sinful nature. We wrestle with that. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we lie. There's provision for our sin. It's just an unfortunate reality that we will struggle with until we die. He's not talking about that kind of falling. He's talking about people who've never connected with God, got all the right words, endorse a sinful lifestyle, live completely immoral, as John would say, claiming to know him, yet disregarding and not keeping his commands as a lifestyle. These are people who think they're saved, Talk like they're saved. They do religious things. Like these guys. They they all felt good about what they were doing. And yet they were so far from the truth. What scares me, and I don't like to to have heavy messages or I don't want to bring the lash on anybody, is is in the privacy of my own heart and your own heart to, to find out, Areas that even though you know that the spirit of God has testified with your spirit that you're a child of God, are there areas where you kid yourself and so that you can get what you really want in a Christianized kind of way? Be careful. That's a different problem than those who are among us who know they live a totally godless life and it's all a show that's who these people are. Allah show not an ounce of true conversion or life of God in there. lessons from their mistake. And then the final prayer, Uh, three quick lessons. Number one, when you reject God's word to do your own thing, you cannot tell right from wrong. You think you're repenting, but you're not. You think you're worshiping, but you're not. You think God's happy, but he isn't. Number two, when you reject God's word to do your own thing, you can't distinguish God's blessing from his discipline. Micah thinks God has sent the Levite Jonathan to bless him. Jonathan thinks God has sent the Danites to prosper him. So when you're all about you, you can't figure out what God is up to in your life since you cut the whole thing backwards. And lastly, number three, When you're discontent with what God has given you, and you go looking for it somewhere, not only are you somewhere else, not only are you settling for less than best, but many people will suffer as you find yourself and your new life of blessing. It's through full surrender and contentment with God and his will that we find true life, losing our life for his sake. We find life. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your grace that, that covers us and your blood that forgives us and your spirit that testifies with ours that we are indeed your children. And Father, even with that said, we're prone to wander. And so, Father, for the area that needs correction in my heart and in our hearts May your spirit go in like a two-edged sword with this word and just divide things, make it clear, cut away the things that need to go away, that cause harm and hinder our love with you and our walk, the beautiful, peaceful, wonderful walk with God. We ask for your blessing now as we close in this song. Touch our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.